Welcome to Journaling with Nature, the podcast for those who want to turn curiosity into wonder, a pencil sketch into a rabbit hole of discovery, a moment of stillness into a life full of joy. I'm your host, Bethan Burton. Let's open the pages of our nature journals and explore this world together. Hello, this is episode 100. I'm so happy and excited to reach this milestone. Thank you for being here and for being part of it. Something a little different is happening for this particular episode. Beth kelly Galogli reached out to me and asked whether she could ask the questions I normally have for my guests back to me. I was really humbled that she reached out and it worked perfectly for the 100th episode. You'll hear Beth introduce herself at the start of our conversation, but she's an incredibly generous, kind-hearted person And I've had the joy of getting to know her and her inspirational daughter, Fiona, through the nature journaling community over the last few years. Although we live on opposite sides of the world, we're connected by a shared love of nature and a passion for making a difference by sharing nature journaling with others. So I'm blushing a little to be the one interviewed today, but I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation with you, where we talk about my history and the story behind the Journaling with Nature podcast. Let's listen. Hello, everyone. I am Beth Kelly Galogali, and I'm the founding director of the Wild Wonder Nature Journaling Conference and a longtime member of the Nature Journal Club. And it is my joy and pleasure today to interview Beth and Burton. I'm turning the mic around to her because she has been so generously sharing these beautiful, moving, inspiring, amazing interviews. So Bethan has been creating this amazing show for two years and brought us closer together through this really intimate, beautiful interview format that she offers. And I reached out to her several months ago to say that I really think her community that she's created through this podcast would really love to get to know her better. And I love the questions that she asks in her podcast, and I want to ask them of her. And I said, it doesn't have to be me. If you'd like someone else to interview you, that's fine. Um, I happen to work as a journalist in my in my other, my other life. I do have, I, I kind of juggle a lot of different jobs, not just Wild Wonder and John Muir Law's things. I have a lot of other things that I do. And, and I've been a journalist and someone who writes profiles of people for a long time. And so um, I offered to do that, and, and I'm very happy that Bethan said yes. So that's why we're here today. Um, I may share a few stories from my life, but I mostly want to shine the audio spotlight on our host. So thank you for agreeing to do this today. Thank you. Do you know what? I was really touched and humbled that you thought to ask to do this and... Um, it's interesting. I love hearing other people's stories. I love listening to stories and uh, it feels kind of, <laughs> it feels <laughs> kind of funny to tell my own story, but it's, it's beautiful that you asked and I'm really humbled by that. And it works out that it's going to be uh, the 100th episode of the show. So that's a big milestone too. That's so exciting. That's so exciting. <laughs> wow. And for each show, this is one of the things I wanted to ask, you know, each show in addition to like, 
there's scheduling with the person, like reaching out to them, figuring out when you're going to meet. Then there's the recording. Then there's the editing mm -hmm. and processing and posting. So like how much time does it take to put together one of these episodes on average? I would say it takes about eight hours for one episode. Wow. It's hard to know, but I, depending on the person, I do a lot of pre-research. I love to get to know people before so that I know the things that they've shared, the things that they love to focus on, um, also so that I can uh, gear my questions so that I'm not covering gra too much ground that they've already covered elsewhere sure. if they have done stuff before. So there's a lot of research and reading and getting to know that person before they come on. Um, yeah, I would say about eight hours for an episode, which is, um, it can be an investment, but it's something that I absolutely love and I'm totally passionate about. And I, I have this funny experience where a, a lot of times when I interview someone, I just feel like I've made a new friend and it just feels, <laughs> it feels so good at the end just to have connected with someone who is on the same wavelength and just to riff off these ideas that we all love to talk about. Absolutely. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. And mm -hmm. um, one of the things I really love about your podcast is how closely and carefully you listen. And I find that, you know, even Terry Gross, who's a, um, people in the United States will know her. She's a famous interviewer on National Public Radio, NPR in the United States. Um, even, and she's considered like, you know, one of the best interviewers. A lot of people really respect her as an interviewer. But I've noticed that she has a canned list of questions. And sometimes the person will already have answered that question. Right. And like, like they'll basically say a paragraph and they've answered a question that she then asks. So like, yes, okay. I can tell, hey, Terry, you actually weren't totally listening just then. It doesn't happen all the time. And I, you yeah. know, Terry Gross, if you're listening to this, I think you're great. <laughs> but, but sometimes it seems like maybe you were distracted. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, and I just never hear you do that. I, I, I notice that there are long times during your interviews where you are listening really carefully and you often go down the path of a rabbit hole with someone that might be far off the path of what you were planning to ask or what you originally asked. But it's just beautiful to see you ask just gentle, small questions. And then the person seems to open up and open up and open up more. And it's just, it's just so beautiful. You, you're a really skilled interviewer. And I just feel so grateful that you've created this amazing archive of all of these community members um, who love nature and nature journaling. And it's just, it's just beautiful. So thank you from everyone, from all of your listeners, I'm certain I'm expressing their gratitude, but thank you so much for your care and your um, deep listening. I feel like it's a gift just to give someone to do that. So I really want to give that gift to you. Thank you so much. And yeah, it is, it is interesting because I do prepare questions, but I always uh, like to follow, follow the stream of the conversation where it goes. And, and sometimes it, it does take a bit of mental shifting because uh, someone will answer something inadvertently that I had planned to ask them uh, and and so in my mind, I'm constantly moving and shifting with the conversation. But I love that dance that we do together in conversation. And it's something that, yeah, it brings a lot of joy. And it um, it's just an honor to talk with with people and hear their stories. It really does feel like an honor. Absolutely. I totally agree. Well, let's get started. So... Um, you have some questions that you often ask people when they come to your podcast yeah. for interviews. And so I asked you for that list and I'm going to, as I said, turn these questions around to you. I also have some other questions that I came up with as well, things that I'm curious about. 
but I would love to ask some of those questions of you. So I'm curious about your childhood. Um, what was it like? How was nature part of it? And do you trace your love of nature and your connection to nature back to a certain moment or a certain place or a certain experience in your childhood or a certain person in your childhood that might have been a mentor to you? Yeah, I love this question and I ask it every time I speak with someone and I don't know why I'm drawn to this question in my interviews, but I just think childhood experiences can set a foundation. And for me, I grew up um, with a suburban experience and we had a big backyard. It wasn't anything special, but it had a lot of trees there, a lot of wildness, um, fruit trees and a lot of spending time in in trees i was a tree climber and one of my one of my favorite things to do was to climb to the very very high branches of particular trees that i had in my childhood and and just sway there in the breeze i was very connected with um with something bigger than myself mm. and i found that in nature um I went to a school, uh, an alternative school, where we had a lot of land, a lot of freedom and a lot of nature in our days. And I used to spend a lot of my school day in a tree. Um, <laughs> what a gift. What a gift. That's so great. <laughs> yeah. The tree that uh, the tree at school was a Tipuana and it had these beautiful big branches. And I, I had my different roots up to the top of the tree. And um, I would take a book up there and just read in the tree and... I had a special tree in my backyard at home as well, which was a pine, and I had the different branches and I knew how to sit mm. in the branches mm. of this tree to prop myself up to read. And um, But there are a couple of things that stand out in my mind because um, I've been reflecting on this question. Um, and I remember one day my mum made a vegetable garden in the back and she had all this beautiful soil there and she gave my sister and I a little patch mm. to plant uh, some flowers and we we sprinkled these flowers there and and I remember them coming up and just being absolutely thrilled by that mm. you know that we put the seeds in and there was this flower garden suddenly and the miracle of that really touched me and I remember there was uh, in this sort of mixture of flower seeds was um, snapdragons. And I, mm. I just thought this whole experience was absolutely magical and and moving and it did something inside me. And another similar experience was for my favourite uh, pine tree that I used to sit in to read in the backyard. I found a seed from this tree and it was the first time I'd seen how the seed fits into the cone and... Um, I was quite thrilled by dis this discovery mm -hmm. and I remember planting this seed and then it growing into a little pine seedling and just like being absolutely blown away by this. I can't remember how old I was, maybe nine, something like that. Mm. But this experience of putting seeds into the ground and having them turn into plants was yes. just absolutely moving and thrilling. Oh, that's so exciting. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And you asked me about a mentor. My my dad has always loved nature and he took us out a lot. And we used to go uh, on trips. We used to go fossicking. And I'm not sure 
if that word translates um, into American speak, but <laughs> um, fossicking, I think, is um, maybe prospecting. Um, so like to, looking for gold? Yeah, looking for precious stones. And for we precious used to stones, go and, okay. Yeah, we had like sieves and we would go out and, you know, wade in rivers and look for stones. And my dad had a, a tumbling machine where you could mm. sort of shine up stones. And mm-hmm. um, I think my dad was a very special mentor in that way but without ever having said anything about it you know he just um he loved to be outdoors he loved to take us out in a canoe and um so I think he influenced me in a very quiet way you know he Mm -hmm. I I think I have some of his traits in that um things don't have to be loud but they can be powerful and I think um I think he did that for me. If I if I was to pinpoint someone who was a mentor, I, mm-hmm. I would say it was my dad. And you talked about was there a moment? And there, I have one really special moment that stood out for me in childhood and nature, which was that I was wandering um, near my school and I, I sat down. I remember it so clearly and it was one of those moments that I'll never forget I sat down underneath these pine trees and there was there was afternoon light coming down there was the scent it was a very sensory experience there was the scent of the pine needles and the warmth of the afternoon sun and I just had this immediate and powerful overwhelming experience of understanding that I was part of this bigger thing Mm. part of this web of of life and there was nothing I needed to say or do in that moment I just understood something really profoundly and and that stuck with me and those moments in nature are you know some of life's most amazing moments I think and I experienced that when I was little and and that stuck with me absolutely Mm. wow do you remember how old you were when that happened I was in primary school. It was probably around the same age, so maybe nine or ten. Hmm. Mm. Beautiful. I also loved to garden and planting seeds, although I didn't come to it until I was an adult. Uh, my mom did have a garden, but I wasn't really that involved in it. Um, I had four brothers, and there was a lot of roughhousing in my house. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, but anyway, I loved, I love gardening now and I grow, I have a big garden and grow all of my plants from seed and that joy when you plant, I mean the little tomato speck and then when it comes up and goes boop, which with its first two leaves, I just, Fiona just, Fiona just laughs at me because like even that curl, like you can kind of part the dirt and you can start to see this little white curl like this, (laughs) oh, and I just, I, I, anyway, so I plant them and I bring them, I have this cart, I call it my start cart and it's like this giant metal (laughs) rack and I, I have a south facing wall of my house that's made of stucco that, and so even on a cooler winter day, that wall gets pretty warm. Mm. And so, um, I roll this cart, the start cart out into the sun every day and I roll it back in every night for like three months from like February to May when I plant them, February, March, April, To acclimatize them. Well, no, just to give them sun every day. Yeah. And then at the end, I start leaving them out all night when it's warm enough. But Mm -hmm. that joy of planting things. And then now I go out in my garden and that tomato plant that was a speck is now like a 12-foot tall, amazing being that gives me incredible tomatoes every day. And it's just, 
it's out of this one of world, the most it? beautiful thrills in the world. I absolutely agree. Like, and I've gardened with Fiona her whole life. And yeah. um, at one point she said to me, cause I call those my starts, my, my tomato starts yes. or my pepper starts. I call them my yeah. starts. And so one time she doesn't remember asking this, but one time she said, am I your favorite start mommy? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think she was getting maybe a little bit jealous of how much love that I was pouring into my start. <laughs> it was really cute. And then as she's gotten older and played instruments, our starts live inside at night in the same room where our piano is and her cello is and her flute and all this other stuff. And so um, as she's gotten older, we play music to our starts in the evenings. We have a lot of music time at night. And so we, when I give them away to people, I joke that, you know, they've been raised with like, (laughs) you know, sun and we've sung to them every night. And so they're like really happy starts. Yeah. But um, (laughs) anyway, so I definitely loved your answer about the gardening because it really truly is such a miracle it is such a miracle to take this like dry wrinkled brown speck and put it in dirt and water it and watch it come to life I mean it's it's truly in my view just one of the most joyful things to to witness I completely agree with that and what a beautiful thing that you had that experience as a child And it connects you with that cycle because then whatever it is say it's your tomatoes they that plant that you put in the ground, that seed that you put in the ground has grown and then it gives you food that you take into your body. You know, you're, you are part of that. There's, there's no separation between you and nature when you, when you do that and it connects you. Yes, I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. What a gift. What a gift. So that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful experience you had. And, and I loved, I can really just picture you under the pine trees with the smell (laughs) and that, and that, gift of feeling connected to nature and to all of life. Um, What a beautiful insight to have at such a young age. For years after that, I used to, whenever I would wander under pine trees, if there was needles there, I would gather up a handful of needles and I would put them in in a pillowcase Mm. and I would put them under my, you know, I'd sleep next to this so that I could have that scent and remember this moment. Oh, that's beautiful. I love (laughs) it. I love it. So can you tell me a little bit about how you came to nature journaling itself? Like what was that moment like when you had the idea or someone gave you the idea or you saw an example? How did that happen when you thought, wow, I could put my love of art with my love of nature onto the page? Like, How did that, how did that come about for you? Yeah. So I've always loved art. And I was always like a passionate environmentalist, Um, even as a child, even in primary school, I was campaigning and writing to people and, you know, organizing things. And um, so when I got to university, I, I wondered, should I study art? Should I study environment? And I chose to study, uh, actually, I started an art club, I started an art degree and I hated it. I'd chosen the wrong thing. Um. It wasn't what I wanted. So I went traveling for a few years and I came home and then I started uh, studying ecology and conservation biology. That was my undergraduate degree. Mm. And I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be close to nature. Um, But as part of this class, um, we had to keep field journals, ecological field journals. And that, I think, was my first nature journal. Um, Mm. I got to go on a university field trip in my early years in, at university to the rainforest in Borneo in mm. Brunei. 
And that was a magical experience. And one of the things we had to do for this for this class was uh, keep a field journal. So I was drawing and writing and studying in that in that book and keeping lists of birds and stuff like that. That was my first official nature journal, I think. We didn't call it a nature journal, but we but it was certainly a, a field journal. So in, in the in the states, there's there can be there's a really rigid kind of field journaling, or I, I shouldn't I shouldn't judge it. That my judgment's mm-hmm. coming out, but there are some like more specialized field journaling techniques that have like very rigid requirements about how to do your page and what to put mm-hmm. on it. And I was just curious if your like how your teacher of that class presented the field journal was it more open? Like anything you want to write down in here is fine, or did he he or she ask you to write? or lay out your page in a certain way, were, were, were like drawings encouraged or discouraged or like, I'm just curious how that format was introduced to you. Yeah, that's interesting. He was very open about it. He mm. said, include whatever you want. Um, I think he encouraged us to write the date, which is mm-hmm. always important, um, sure. but he was very open about it. He said, you know, he gave us some ideas about what we could include, you know, species lists, um, accounts of what you're doing. He definitely encouraged us to draw but there was no definitely no set structure but I remember at that time you know at university trying to do the right thing and I remember you know trying to be very scientific in my (laughs) journal and my feedback from my professor was he said great journal great drawings da 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 but I loved the parts I loved the most were where you wrote about what you thought and felt Mm. and so that was a um an indication to me about what this can be mm-hmm. um, it doesn't have to be you don't have to pretend to be you know a perfect scientist in your journal it can be reflective and I appreciated his comment on that nice um, so then after my university studies I actually got really sick and this is a something that I've spoken about before um, but it was definitely like a pivotal or a you know a keystone thing in my life um I was very ill with uh, something that doctors didn't understand at first um and so it just meant long periods at home um isolated unable to do a lot of things um but I could go outside and connecting with um, nature just in my backyard was something really profound and important to sort of anchor me during that time because Mm. chronic illness can be really isolating. It can be really depressing. Um, And I didn't have the strength or energy to see a lot of people, but being in nature just in my suburban backyard, um, it meant a lot. It anchored me and it calmed me down. Mm. And so at that time, and I'm trying to think like how – Maybe I was sort of going back to what felt good with these field with these field journals that I'd kept at university. Um, I don't know what what intuitively made me start doing this again, but I just knew that be, I needed to be outside, and that, maybe it was just the love of art. I was sort of just connecting with that again, and sketching outside just felt so good, and mm. and I just started doing that more and more, and then. Then I was gifted a book and it was um, a book about keeping a field journal and this book led me to search for other books and I came across Claire Walker-Leslie and I came across John Muir Laws and 
the books made me realize like oh yeah this is exactly like a mind-opening thing like oh yeah this is this is a whole thing in itself and and so I started doing that more and more and just realizing two things like this is just so powerful in terms of um, my own uh, my own experience becoming calm staying connected with the world my own art practice and what the, and the joy that that brings me and then secondly that this is something that maybe I could do um, for myself but also share with others and I started putting my pages out online and I had no real expectations and then yeah again this mind-blowing experience of like realizing there's this whole community out there mm. and and we were finding each other and and that led to starting to give nature journaling workshops and and it all grew from there so it, it really my fo- my first journal was kept at university but my you know the first journal that I kept just for myself was it came through this period of um of struggle but it mm. it really lifted me from that or it just gave me so much solace as Claire Walker Leslie talks about finding solace in nature and it really was that for me that's so beautiful wow mm. I really connect with that idea of solace in nature because I have, especially in this wonderful COVID journey mm-hmm. that we've been on, um, we feel really blessed uh, to live near area that we can get outside and, and be yeah. in nature. And um, I never have felt so grateful to have nature in my life as I have the last few years, although mm-hmm. I really feel like I've been savoring it for a long time you know, before that. But I, I really hear that that powerful solace and healing and calm and groundedness that being in nature can give us. And I'm really glad that you were able to find that in that dark time for yourself. How long ago was that, that you were ill and that happened? I had this illness for a good decade before I understood it. Um, Gosh, wow. I sort of came to doing nature journaling a lot 10 years ago. Mm. And so it was 10 years before that, that I was at uni. So um, I kept my first nature journal 20 years ago, but my personal practice was, is about 10 years old. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you often ask this question, which is one of my favorites that you ask, do you journal from the head or from the heart? And um, (laughs) I see in your posts uh, and your shares that you do with journaling with your son and and the way you talk about nature, it feels very heart-centered to me. But I, kn- I know you also, you know, use your, use your intellect as well. Um, but I would love to hear you talk more about that. Yeah, I don't even know why I started asking that. But um, maybe because for me, the heart is, is where it's at. And I would say in answer to that question, it's all heart. Mm-hmm. Um, even when it's head, it's heart. <laughs> <laughs> So sometimes, yeah, I do get into like these natural history questions and whatever Mm -hmm. it is. But even when it is that, even when I'm diving into something with the brain, it is with the intention to connect. Mm. And for me, it's all about connection and connection is is through the heart. And so when I'm, you know, going into some sort of discovery phase in nature and I want to learn something, it's because I want to know about this thing and I want to make a heart connection. So yeah, it's funny. It's funny having these questions asked to me because (laughs) I don't know why I ask them, but um, I love the answers that people give. And Mm -hmm. I love that there's all these different ways of doing it. And, and I never, of course, I don't ask do you journal with the head or the heart with any expectation or any, you know, 
um, preference for either of those two. I think sure, both sure, of sure. Them, yeah, both of them are, are wonderful ways to do it. Um, but for me, I just feel so much when I'm out in nature and I feel connected and I feel like wildly in love with the mm. world and <laughs> and nature journaling it just it helps me feel that and yeah I don't know what else to say about that but yeah I just I feel so much and it's deepened every time I go out there and every time I sit with and I really love the way John Mulors has articulated this experience when he says that love is sustained compassionate attention mm-hmm. and I feel that I feel that with the people in my life, my son, you know, my family, but I absolutely 100% feel that with nature. And so when I sit with a particular blossom or a particular strand of grass, you feel that love and you feel that interaction. And so, yeah. For me, it's all about the heart. <laughs> I, I could have guessed, but I—it's I, beautiful to hear you. It's beautiful to hear you talk about it, and and I definitely feel that through your pages and your work. Um, mm-hmm. I feel that strong heart connection, and um, and you know, I, when I say your work, I am including this podcast that you've created and mm-hmm. this community of, or this archive of these beautiful interviews. You know, your heart and your deep listening, I think, are really um, a foundational part of of this of this gift that you've created for our community. So, um, I I love that. I love that. And just being wildly in love with nature. I just, I, I sort of picture you like out there, like twirling with your, like, (laughs) like with like your eyeballs are like Like in the the sound of music. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like the sound of music, but like, you know, like those cartoons where your eyes turn in your turn into hearts and you're just like, ah, nature, you know, like I totally see it. I can totally see it. And I, I, I just love it. It's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. so funny. Like, and it's hard to describe because, you know, um, I'm really passionate about color. And sometimes I go out there and I'll see like a, a, a patch of brown leaves that have fallen. And, and I just cannot even describe how much I am in love with the color of this mm, <laughs> patch mm. of fallen leaf. And then you try to describe it to someone who's outside the nature journal community yeah. and they just don't know yeah. what you're even talking about. But you can hear with these people, you can yeah. you can say, I'm wildly in love with the browns here. And they'll they'll go, oh yeah, that's, that's oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. So let's talk about color. It's off. It's out of my order, but that's okay. Mm. I know color is just one of your one of your big loves. I mean, you're wildly in love with nature, but you're also yeah. really wildly in love with color. And as people who've seen videos, yeah. you know, you have. I'm looking as we're interviewing um, today. I'm seeing this beautiful um, things behind you of all your different color charts and things like that. So um, one of the things that my daughter Fiona does when we're out in nature, and and she kind of has started to quiz me because we both have the same palette. Um, she'll say, well, I'll say, oh, look at that yellow or that pink on this bird or whatever. And she'll say, how would you mix that? And yeah. so, and so, she, and I'm, I'm not that good at it. Cause I don't, I actually do a lot more writing in my journal. Cause I'm, I'm, if, if Jack talks about words, pictures, and numbers are kind of the three languages of mm-hmm. nature journaling for me, 
I reach for words first. I think most of us have like one of those things that we reach for first. Probably yes. words or pictures are the number, you know, the, the first two. I think it's rare to have someone come to nature journaling who's a number person, but I'm yes. sure there's sure there's um, one of them out there. But um, I reach for words <laughs> first and I tend to write a lot in my journal and I do a lot of small sketches, but I don't paint that much in my journal, although I'd like to do it more. But she paints a lot. And so one of the things I notice about mm. when she's in nature and we discuss it a lot. And when she hangs out with Marley, he also has the same palette. And so the two of them just geek out and they're like, ooh, I think that's a little bit of perylene <laughs> green with some chromox and blah, blah, and a little bit of gouache or whatever. And like they're, you know, they're looking at birds and talking about mixing that cool olive green on the back of this mot mod or whatever. And, um, and it's just really fun <laughs> to hear them like geek out about color in that way. But the way you just were talking about the brown leaves, like, is that happening for you? That Which in a way, I guess it's kind of going into the brain of like, ooh, how would I translate that color? Or are you just like, oh my God, this brown. And just like living in that, like, ah, I'm so excited about this color. Like, wh yeah. what is that like for you? Like, where does your mind go? What, how does it, how does it fixate on color? And, and then what happens in your mind when, and in your heart when that happens? Yeah, I love this question. And I love that Fiona uh, is, is looking around and saying, you know, ultramarine <laughs> and da, 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 and, you know. <laughs> I love that. And I do the same thing. I definitely can look at the sky and, you know, in my mind, I'll think, okay, a little bit of cool blue, mm -hmm, a little mm -hmm. bit of warm blue will make this perfect. Yeah. And um, I think for me, color, it's definitely a heart thing and it's definitely a place thing. And so I've thought a lot about this because Australia has some really unique mm -hmm. colors and different parts of this land have different colors as well and and so I'm really connected to the colors of mm. my place so I live on the east coast um, in a small village just outside of Brisbane and we have long hot summers so we have a lot of dry a, a lot of dryness we have um, eucalypts which have this unique um, unique dusky green that's hard to describe but it's part of me it's part of my who I am you know it's part of my life experience my history and so these colors just make me feel alive and they make me feel grounded and they make me feel at home and at the moment we are in the middle of winter and we have a lot of winter flowering wattles and so wattles are a type of acacia they have this beautiful um yellow mm. blossoms and the color of the wattles just makes me come <laughs> alive so I can do what Fiona does I can look at that and think I could mix this yeah. this this is and I love doing that in my mind I love doing that as an exercise um it, it it's one of my favorite things to do is just sit down and color mix everything that mm -hmm. I see around me that's a really wonderful way to connect um but it is also this just this feeling of being grounded and, and at home with the colors. And I love that um, different landscapes have different colors and different people are connected with mm. different colors. And um, I spoke with a guest recently, um, Ali Foxen, who says she is known to choose her holiday destinations because she wants to experience the color of that mm, water mm. or whatever it is. And, and I think that color can just, it can move us and it can ground us and it can make us feel in our place. And that's mm. what it does for me. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love that. I love that. How do you feel your nature journaling has changed over this decade that you've been doing this practice and, and how has working with others 
I, I, you know, we, the way you described it, you talked about being really alone as, Mm. as an ill person by yourself, nature journaling in your own backyard. And then the joy of finding that community and of meeting other like-minded people who are excited to geek out about that cool brown color you found in the pile of leaves. (laughs) So how do you feel like your nature journaling has changed over time this decade you've been doing it? And, and also how has the involvement of other people influenced those changes? I love this question, Beth, because I have just realized something. <laughs> You've made me realize something. So when I started, I um, I was alone and I was doing it just for me. And I used to include a lot of words and reflection. And in fact, I was going through back then a lot of anxiety and mm. I felt like I needed grounding. I needed safety. I needed... Uh, to feel something solid and my nature journal was that for me and and you know as you know whoever has experienced anxiety will know that um, being in the present moment is the safest place (laughs) and so I would um, I would write my experience and I would write about what I was seeing around me and so my pages definitely had sketches there was a lot of writing and now you've just made me realize that that was I was alone I was trying to connect and I was trying to be as as strongly in the present moment as I could because that was the safe place during that scary time um and as this connect these connections have been growing um making connections with other people in other places who love the same thing um I think I definitely have been um you know gathering ideas from other people and that reflects in my journal but I think I have more pictures in my Mm. journal now and I wondered if that was an influence of social media because you when you're putting things out there you know can you can get uh you get influenced by Mm -hmm. what works. (laughs) And so long, you know, passages of personal writing about nature doesn't really translate. And so I think that, um, I think that that has been an influence in changing the way I journal. But in speaking to you now, I think that I did need to ground myself in words before in a way that I don't now because my health Mm. is so much better. I have, um, I live in a community with my whole family. Uh, I'm very connected to the Nature Journal community and I f- don't feel those things that I was feeling before. Um, so that's an interesting reflection. But another way that um, it's changed over time is that I think I used to skim from subject to subject. And now over this last little period of time the last five years or so I'm going deeper with the things that I see very close to home so my favorite place to nature journal is in my backyard (laughs) and so I'm learning about what's here what are the changes that I see not only from day to day but from year to year and so being in one place and journaling in the same place because in that period uh before the decade before we moved 10 times in 10 years so it was um, oh my gosh a lot lot. of moving yeah and so but now being in one place being settled and 
journaling in the same place for a number of years is making my journal more deep, my experience more deep instead of um, flitting from subject to subject, Mm. if that makes sense. Beautiful. Yeah, Yeah, that's beautiful. What a gift to get to do a deep dive into your own, your own little world. Uh, And I I definitely share that. We, We do a lot of hiking there's a couple trails near where we live and um, we could, we're fortunate to be able to like walk out our front door and mm. in 30 steps be on a trail system that is can go on for miles and miles and miles. And there's a few loops that we do that are kind of like 45 minute walk or maybe an hour and a half yeah. walk that go from, you know, that front door and back around on these trails. And we've been doing that for Fiona's whole life. And she's just turned 19 this year. And so um, there's such a powerful sense of place um, coming from that. And we weren't journaling all that time, Mm -hmm. but um, we've we've been journaling together for, I guess, about five or six years now. Mm -hmm. And um, even if I don't have my journal, the the mentality of journaling, the mindset of journaling causes me to pay more attention to nature. Um, or pay attention to nature in a much more profound way than I used to. And I've always loved nature. I've always loved birds, especially, um, and flowers. I'm just a total, like, I'd go gonzo for flowers. <laughs> um, where we live, there's not a lot of, not a ton of flowers, but our wildflower season is really, there's a, a couple of weeks where it's just really beautiful. And I, I like to grow flowers in my garden too. But these trails that we walk, there's just these, so many memories there Mm-hmm. And, and also this knowledge that I have of like, there's a certain tree that it has like the way the trunk comes down and then the trunk kind of bends. And I call it the kneecap tree because there's, it kind of looks like a, like a person's knee is bending. And then yeah. on the top of the kneecap, there's a hole. And for the last five or six or seven years, there's been birds that nest in that hole. And I can't see in the hole. It's too high to see in. But if I sit nearby far enough away to give them space if I sit nearby I can observe and during the springtime I can go down and see who's nesting in the kneecap tree this year and it's just so beautiful to have that knowledge and and I I must have walked past that hole it's been there a long time I must have walked past that hole many many times without ever even noticing it yeah perhaps before I journaled I don't know but now I look at it every time and I'm like, hi, kneecap hole. And I think of it as yes. a little house where there's been happy bird families raised year <laughs> oh, after year, wow. you know. And the bird that has been in there recently is a violet green swallow, which is just one of the most beautiful birds we have here. And we don't have, um, there's not a lot of super colorful birds here as are like a regular birds that we see all the time. But that one has just spectacular um you know, this beautiful violet, shimmery violet and like a dark, like emerald green and white. And it's just, and it's a, you know, a swallow that's just such an acrobatic flyer. And um, so it's beautiful to get to see them and they, they don't really hold still that often. And so when you, they'll fly and as I'm watching, I see them fly past the kneecap, fly past the kneecap hole, fly past the kneecap hole. And I'm like, come on, I know you're going in there, you know, <laughs> and, and they, they swoop and they're, I don't know if they're hunting or they're just playing. I don't know. The parents are like, we're going out on a date. We're leaving the kids at home, you know, and they're flying around. And then finally it just goes zoop and it goes right oh, in the hole. Wow. And then I'm like, I watched you go in. I know you're going to come out and I'm there with my binoculars and just, oh. you know, I'm like breathing, so, you know, slowly just like, oh, I can't wait to see you come out. And then it just, shoo, you know, it's wow. just, it's so beautiful. And that's just like one of, you know, many, many, many little spots on the trail that have become so close to my heart 
for that yeah. reason of, of noticing them and paying attention to them. And, and I've definitely written down in my journal, you know, I've drawn the kneecap tree. I've made notes about who was in it, you know, at certain times. So I really love, and I really hear that, that depth that you're talking about, mm. um, of being very grounded in place. And there is a lot of joy in going to a new place and nature journaling a new place yes. and, and seeing new birds or new flowers or new trees or new water, you know, at the color of the ocean or whatever that you haven't seen. But, um, there's also such a beautiful power in, in your own backyard, as you say, or these local trails that, um, that for me brings me so much joy. And, and there's this beauty in that history yes. that I have with that place. Um, that this is the corner where Fiona said that, or this yes. is, this is the spot on the trail where we happened during a spring migration time to see like five rare warblers that we had never seen before. And that was during COVID, this particular moment. And we walk, I walk past that, past that trail spot all the time. And I'm like, I, I sometimes with Fiona, sometimes by myself. And once I was with her recently and I was like, this is that spot where we stopped and looked up and there were, do you remember that? And she's like, oh yeah, I totally remember that. We sat down and we drew them. And um, that was a particular time during COVID when we're so busy. Like, you know, Fiona's in school and she does theater and she does this other stuff. And I have all these jobs and we weren't walking every single day. I mean, we were walking some days, but we weren't walking every single day until COVID came. And then we, you know, she hardly had any school. She had some mm -hmm. online school, but we had a lot of free time and we walked every single day. And we were out more that spring than any other time, any other spring that we'd ever been out, we were walking. And I was thinking to myself, are these birds here every year? And I just yes. am not here to see them. Or is this some special moment? I don't know. But, oh, it's just beautiful to have those memories and that deep knowledge of that place by spending a lot of time with it, by giving it that sustained compassionate attention that you mentioned Jack talks about. It's such a beautiful concept and I feel it really strongly with my, these local trails in my own yard. Yeah. I love that story that you've got these little memories, especially shared memories with Fiona and that you've got all these special places that you can visit again and again through the years. And that just makes so, so much depth. And I also love what you said about, yeah, it doesn't matter if you have your journal or not. We've got this special, you know, Marley Pfeiffer talks about this, what was your superpower be if you if you had a nature journal superpower? But yeah. nature journaling itself is almost like a superpower because you can, <laughs> you can have this mindset of instantly tuning in, mm -hmm. instantly paying attention in a way that um, maybe you wouldn't have before. Yeah. I mean, you're, there's a lot of people where we live walking these trails for fitness, you know, and I can hear yes. their music gong, 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 yeah, yeah, gong, yeah. you know, from like <laughs> far away. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, I, I just, I feel so glad I don't have any, any earphones on or whatever. Like I want, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm there. Yes, I do. I do walk for exercise because I, it really helps. I do struggle with anxiety as well. And, mm -hmm. and exercise for me is just critical for that mental health. Um, and, and, but I think part, also being in nature is part of that. So it's exercise, but it's also nature connection. Yes. I'm out there, I'm breathing fresh air. I'm seeing the trees and the grass and the weeds and the, sometimes the rattlesnakes and whatever, <laughs> um, and the flowers and the birds, but it's, it's really refilling me and, and calming me and giving mm. me so many gifts that I just want to, I walk out with my eyes like as wide open as they can yes. be and my ears also <laughs> as wide open as they can be because, um, I do a lot of birding by ear. And um, once I started to learn the birds of my area um, by ear, 
my walks became so much more rich because mm. I think of the birds as my neighbors, my neighbors, you know, <laughs> um, my neighbors. <laughs> I yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think of them as my neighbors and I have like 20 or so species that are my neighbors. And I love, I sit out on my deck and have my tea every morning or my breakfast out there. And then I take a walk almost every day. And I just love hearing who's here because when you're, when you're birding by ear, you see quote unquote, way more birds than you would if you just used your eyes because birds are very, many birds are very secretive. But when you know their calls, for me, it it has made my outdoor experience um, vastly more rich because I can use my ears to hear what neighbors are around. And, and um, it's just so exciting to be able to do that and to, to hear um, who's there. And sometimes if I want to see them, then I know what bird that is and where they're going to be in the canopy. And I can more quickly find it because I know where to look for it and what it's going to look like. It's going to be a red dot. It's going to be a yellow dot. It's going to be a gray dot, you know? So, um, so anyway, I, I yeah, I, I just feel like I'm walking out with nat- into nature with like my heart as wide open as possible, my ears as wide open as possible, my eyes as wide open as yes. possible, and I'm just like, you That's know, it. drink yeah, it in, drink it in, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's just it's such a gift, and I feel like nature journaling for me has really helped me understand how to open those things yes. more, how 100%. to see more deeply, how to take in the joy of nature more deeply. Um, and it's beautiful to hear you describe that for your experience as well. Mm-mm. I love that. Thank you yeah. for sharing those stories. <laughs> um, we both are parents. We both mm-hmm. are moms. And um, as I mentioned, my daughter is just turned 19. She's been interviewed on your show before if people want to yes. go look that up. Um, she's about to go off to college like in 24 days. Wow. So my heart is <laughs> is wincing against that pain. And I'm also yes. so full of joy because this is a moment that I have been preparing for, you know, her whole life and she's been preparing for her whole life. And one of the things we've been doing together for years is monitoring bird boxes. So we have bluebird boxes Mm -hmm. and we've been able to raise or, you know, just to monitor these boxes. And we have a network of 20 boxes that are on land near our house that we monitor during the nesting season. And so we've been got we've been able to over the last 4 years been able to get really close up frequent views of baby birds wow. in the nest and it's you know talk about i was talking earlier about the starts in my garden and how excited i yes. get and i just like i love babies <laughs> and i love birds and so um but that metaphor of you know they talk about your child leaves and it's the empty nest the but like that mm-hmm. metaphor is so powerful for me because mm-hmm. the parent's job is to get them out of the nest and flying into freedom. That's their job. Mm-hmm. And and so many things with the baby birds especially, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And with humans, it's also possible that things go wrong. And so the moment that that bird is able to leave the nest is this really beautiful moment. It's mm-hmm. what is supposed to happen. And um, so I'm, I keep coming back to you, even though this is, a, this is an emotional experience and a parenting experience, I keep coming back mm-hmm. to this nature metaphor Yes. to help me get through it because it is what is supposed to happen and it is a beautiful moment and I want to be present for all the parts mm-hmm. of it for it's going to be painful for me I know but it's also beautiful and full of joy and um, it's what's supposed to happen so anyway so I'm in this moment where my mm-hmm. child is much older than yours and I know that but I've also spent some time with her over the past five years and we've spent a lot of time in nature even before that we weren't journaling but we would go on hikes um 
almost every day and in her in her early childhood from when she was in a sling to when she was in a backpack to when she was walking on her oh, own wow. yeah and so um the first time she ever said her own name which she called herself na na she called herself na and the first time she ever said her own name was we were drink i was drinking from a uh you know a hydration tube and she was in a backpack mm-hmm. And I also had a hydration tube and I was taking her on a hike and I would take a drink and then I would say, first mommy's turn, then Fiona's turn. And I would give her the hydration tube. And, um, so I was drinking from it and she said, nah. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, you're asking for the hydration tube and you're saying your own name. And that is so cool. So anyway, even that happened in nature. So I've spent a lot of time with her in nature as a parent and, and because you're also a parent and you, I've seen a lot of posts about your son and, and the joy that you share journaling together and being in nature together. I would love to just hear about, about that experience for you. How has your nature journaling changed and grown as you've been doing it with your son and, and what have you learned from him about nature, about yourself, about your journaling? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I can totally understand your feeling because I already get sad about my son leaving home even though he's five years old. Um, And I love that you're taking solace in nature through metaphors. I do that all the time and I talk regularly on this podcast about how nature can help us through hard things, through you know, looking at nature and learning from that. So the the idea of the emptiness and that this is the the culmination of what the culmination of your job, you know, as a mum. I love that you're taking that from nature. Um, but yeah, nature journaling with kids is one of the most amazing things ever. And I um, so I waited for my son for a really long time. I couldn't have kids uh, through that period when I was really unwell. And so it took 14 years from the time when I wanted a baby to the time when my son arrived. And so I never take him for granted. And I never, um, I never forget what an amazing miracle it is that he's here. And so being out in nature and nature journaling with him is just again, something I just cannot, um, ever forget the preciousness of Mm -hmm. that experience. Mm -hmm. And so when he was a baby, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a mum, you're always looking for like ways to occupy your little one and being outside was something that always calmed and focused him. And he was always happy outside and we would spend most of the day outside and I would take a, take a rug out and put it on the lawn and just bring out some, you know, watercolor paints. And as soon as he was old enough to hold a paintbrush, he was out there painting in nature. And of course he wasn't painting what he saw because that was beyond, you know, he couldn't do that yet. Um, but he was painting outdoors and we have a lot of chickens and the chickens would come around and see what we were <laughs> I doing. I love it. I love this picture. Yeah. <laughs> and we would just talk about what we were seeing and, um, you know, as a parent, you just talk to your child long before they can speak back. But then when he did start speaking, he would say, he would tell me the names of birds. Mm. Some of the, you know, names of local birds were some of his first words. Mm. And and just that interaction. And I really believe that with young children, really young children, the discussion with a, with a grown-up, with a caregiver, is nature journaling, you know, because mm. you are... Mm you are writing that stuff into their nervous system, into their hearts, into their minds, you know. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so when you're discussing, oh, here's a butcher bird, here's a, here's a noisy miner, whatever it is, that's that's their way of doing it before they can write and draw. Mm. Um, that's so beautiful. I hadn't thought about yeah. that before. And I know a lot of parents, you know, spend a lot of time like, this is a phone, this is a pen, you know. But we also <laughs> yeah. do that, you know, those of us who love nature and who are out in nature with our children, like I also was with Fiona. Um, yeah. I definitely was doing a lot of that. And so that's a really beautiful mm. way to think about it, that you're you're interpreting for them and you're helping to give them the the language and the the imagery for how to understand nature. Yeah, and you can be really specific. You don't have to say, look, there's a flower. You can say, look, there's a wattle or there's mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. you know, you can be specific and they take that stuff in. And in whatever way that you will never understand, it becomes part of them. Right, right. Um, and so we've been doing that since he was born Mm. well since he was we've been outdoors since he was born but since he could sit and hold a paintbrush we've been painting outside Mm. together Mm. and then as the time went on you know he started to be able to represent things with in his drawings and he started to really get get in the flow of nature journaling so I remember he was two years old we'd sit down and he'd say what do you notice mummy because he he (laughs) knew that this He knew this is the drill that we do when we sit down in nature. We we notice things, and yeah. so he would ask me preemptively, "What do you notice?" That's and so when he great. said that, I was just like, "Yeah, okay, he's, he's got it down." <laughs> so he is your teacher. He's your little Buddha. Yeah. yeah, that's so great. Absolutely, and and just watching him, watching his curiosity, mm-hmm. and watching him, you know, get excited about things. It, as a parent or a caregiver. Um, to a young child, they remind you just how wondrous the world is in case you've forgotten. You just look through their eyes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Did you find that with Fiona as she was growing up? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, many, many times she would be just so excited about something and, Mm. and um, it's, it's contagious, you know, it's contagious to feel that excitement. And um, I very much understand that that experience of being out with her and I'm trying to think of an example, a specific example of, you know, seeing a hawk land or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. looking at a wildflower or there's a certain monkey flower we have that if you tickle the inside of it, it, it something, I forget what it is. I'm not a botanist, but there's like a spot yeah. you touch and then it, it opens or closes a certain part of the flower. Oh, wow. And so you actually can, it's, it's, I guess it's a pollination thing. Like you touch it there yeah. and then it closes or opens. I can't remember, but anyway, she, she learned about this and, and was doing that. And I was, you know, both of us were just way down close to this flower. It's like a really small flower, like less than like a, like a centimeter, uh, 1.5 centimeters or something like that. And we're like yeah. super close up to it and tickling it. Oh, it did that little That's thing, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, it's just really fun to see that, um, yeah. to, to share it, you know, not only to like, share yeah, not only mm. like seeing it through their eyes, like I'm not excited, she's mm. excited, but like both of us, like, Oh, yes. Look what yes. happens when this, you know, when we do this and, um, yeah. And also in my garden, we've spent a lot of time gardening together and, and harvesting things in the garden. And, um, when Fiona was younger, she would have her own garden patch that she was responsible for and she would choose what to plant in it. And mm. then I, I have this picture of her, she's probably like eight or nine years old and she is just being, and she's holding this armful of kale and this bunch of carrots that she pulled out of, that she harvested <laughs> from her own garden. And she was just so thrilled and she planted those things from seed, you know, and it's just like, ah. so, um, so I definitely understand yeah. that joy in sharing nature together. 
um, whether you're journaling or not, but, but, um, you know, journaling itself together yes. has, has also been a huge gift for us as well. So I love that you have that practice of going outside so often. Yeah. And one, one moment that really stands out, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. Cause it's so sweet. He, um, he, we were sitting on the lawn and he was just looking at the lawn and he said, with just complete awe, he took a breath in and he said, mommy, I never knew that grass could be so beautiful. And I just melted me like, yes, you're absolutely right. Something so simple like that, that he can see it for the beauty that it is. And, and I don't, you know, with kids, you know, (laughs) you want them, you want to share a passion with them. And sometimes he, now he's gotten older, he says, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't want a nature journal with you. Or if he really wants to like, um, if he wants to hurt me, he says, I hate nature. I'm never going out. And he knows <laughs> He knows where your big red button is. And if he, exactly. and that's, the, that's the one to press to really make mommy mad. Yeah. <laughs> no, I never get mad, of course. But he, yeah. you know, he knows. Well, he to knows make what you, I love. Yeah. yeah. He knows what you love. Yeah. 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 And, um, and so I, as he grows older, he will do his own thing and, and sure. And focus where he wants to focus. But, I feel and I hope that there's the seeds of doing this together mm-hmm. are in air inside him and will come out in in later life in whatever way. Yeah, it's been so special. And he, so, I mean, he still, do, I say that, but he still does say, let's go nature journaling. He's yeah. got his own backpack with oh, his skin in it. That's and, great. And we sit together and it's, it is one of the most amazing joys to share that together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. As a parent myself, I tend to be, I'm very extroverted. I feel like I've calmed down over the course of my life, but I'm super extroverted. And when I had a child, I was like, okay, I'm going to play with you. Like I was like in her face and like, so like, and then the donkey, you know, now like, we're I, gonna do this. yes. And I was like, you know, I love to plan things and organize things and whatever. And so I was just like, wow. Yeah. And, um, so I think I was like, really like, so on and like in her face at first when she was younger and yeah. and I thought I was going to have an extroverted child because I'm extroverted and you know why yeah. shouldn't my daughter be exactly like me well she's yeah. very introverted actually and they, she they really are their own people they are their own people yeah <laughs> and she really likes quiet and she really likes solitude yeah. and um and so uh, one of the things that helped me discover that was was our whole journey with Waldorf education, which is really yeah. also aligned with art and nature are really important parts of that educational philosophy. And um, I feel so, so grateful that I discovered Waldorf education when she was one year old. Mm-hmm. We went to a parent-child class and I started to learn about what Waldorf education was. And um, I guess she was, I learned about it before she was born actually, but I think I took her to her first parent-child class yeah, I think she was two, I want to say two. Um, and I saw her in this environment, this natural environment. They had a garden and they had a sandbox and they had an indoor play kitchen and all these beautiful toys. And I was really used to being with her at home and like, now we're going to play. Mommy's going to move the donkey or whatever, you know. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And watching her play by herself. And in her imagination, create all of these, you know, whether she was speaking them out loud, which she did often, she would often narrate what she was imagining Mm -hmm. out loud because she's just kind of a storyteller. Her whole life has been really based in stories. And um, whether she was saying it out loud or not, she was in her own world. And I, Mm -hmm. and I, for the first time, stepped back and I was like, wow, I need to not be so 
in her face and like organizing and, and orchestrating all of this stuff. Yeah. I need to let her, I mean, I can create experiences for her, but I need to step back and have, let her have them yeah, as opposed to like, like guiding her so closely through them somehow, which is sort of, I don't know. I had never been a parent before. And, mm, and my mm. upbringing was in a family of five children where my mom was very busy. My, both of my parents worked, my dad was a doctor and my mom wasn't spending a lot of individual time with me doing anything. So it could be that my yes. response to that parenting was to, to go in the opposite direction. But, mm-hmm. um, I real I had this really strong, profound realization that I needed to step back and I needed to be quiet, which for me was sometimes a challenge, <laughs> but, but yeah. nature journaling was, was another, was another moment of that for me. When we began yeah. nature journaling together, Fiona was 13 when she got her first nature journal. And what I, noticed was that she would drop in this very powerful Mm. flow state that was very quiet, that was not interactive. And that I felt almost like my job on these hikes, we'd be on a public trail and she would find some nature discovery that she wanted Mm. to document and and explore. And she would sit down, you know, slightly off the trail. I often would have our dog because I take our dog on our walks and I might have my journal or I might not. And I, I usually finish journaling long before she does, but I started to see my job or my, something I could do was to actually protect her mm. solitude, to wow. shelter her from the neighbor that was walking down the trail and might want to talk to her. And she just, she yes. didn't want to be interrupted. Yes. Um, and so I, I would stay back a bit and kind of, you know, deflect those people that were, yeah, she's working in her nature journal and like, you know, kind of try to keep them from you know, not, I mean, not like, not in a super, you know, overt way, but I just, I sort of began to understand that one of my jobs as her mom was to guard her solitude. Yeah. And it's an amazingly powerful realization. And to help her, to help her have that flow state for as long as she wanted and to come out of it when she was ready, instead of coming out of it when she was, you know, kind of, pulled out yeah of it. pulled out of it in a yeah, way that yeah. that was upsetting or 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 mm-hmm. um uh surprising you know mm-hmm. to be to be dropped to drop into that moment and just spend as much time as she wants exploring this flower or this bird or this lichen or whatever um so for me that has been a really powerful learning experience mm-hmm. as a parent that nature journaling I feel like has taught me it was it, it feels like an, it was another level of what I experienced when she was younger of I need to let her play on her own. And yes, we will play together. And we spent lots of happy hours doing that. But there was also a lot of beauty in my realization that she could do that on her own. And she was having her own experiences, her own imagination that I could never have created for her. And that was such a gift for her to build those imaginative skills. And then later seeing, you know, the gift of a flow state, the gift of that dropping in and being silent and just, just going deep into this nature journaling experience I really, I saw how important that was for her. I saw how powerful it was for her. And I, I realized I wanted to back up and, and try to support mm. that with silence mm. um, and with space in a way that was kind of surprising to me at first. You know, I was like, and I, I had that realization and and then it became more and more kind of the dynamic that we have when we're journaling together is we, we might discover something together, but we sit apart often mm. and we both mm. drop in. And then we might just, we might explore it a little bit together, but we also leave space for each other to just be quiet and be with our own thoughts and our own drawings and our own experience with that, that phenomenon. So, um, that's been something that has been an interesting surprise for me 
as a parent that's nature journaling together. Yeah, and our kids teach us these Mm. things, don't Mm -hmm. they? And Mm -hmm. that's not something you knew going in and yet you've uncovered that along the journey. Mm -hmm. I love that. For sure, for sure. So we talked a little bit about being a parent and being a nature journaler. I'm wondering how it has affected your nature journaling to do it with your child. Have you seen influences, like you might have less time, for instance, because he might, you know, because you have a younger child than I do, he might get more distracted more easily, for instance. So that's one influence that I think I'm imagining could be true. But I'm wondering how else, what other influences you might have seen or that you could notice that have come about through the fact that you're doing it together, that you're out looking at the same thing or talking about it together. Do you write different things down in your journal? Do you notice different things? Do you journal differently when you're doing it with your son as opposed to when you're doing it on your own? Yeah, that that is so interesting to reflect on. Well, firstly, you're absolutely right. You know, you've got a, a certain window <laughs> <laughs> and it's not always that big. Um, yeah. And so... There are there. It, there's a lot more juggling. There's mm-hmm. a lot less time in. Um, uh, <laughs> you're thinking of more than one thing. You know, yeah, when sure. I'm journaling alone, I can drop into a really deep place, like yeah. a flow state, like you were talking about. And with a child, you're more focused on them, of course, and always looking around, like, okay, when he gets bored with that, what are we going to do next? And um, <laughs> Yeah, and uh, here comes beautiful... a dog running down the trail. <laughs> exactly. I think I might want to pick him up. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, my uh, so I live in community with my whole family, mm. and um, including my niece and nephew, my nieces and nephew, and my nephew is ten, and mm. he loves to hang out with us too uh, oh, when great. we're nature journaling. And he doesn't do it with us, but he sort of just this process of being together out in nature initiated a game and. And we call it, I think we call it, I can't remember now. I think we call it search. Mm, I and remember so you I, posted about that. Yeah. yeah. That's so fun. So I say, I say three, two, one, search. And the boys run off and they go and find something cool in nature and they bring it back. And then I will quickly nature journal it. Mm. So I guess it's a div- um, it's influenced me because I've become a speed nature journaler <laughs> in that, in that <laughs> And then they get restless and they want to do another search. So yeah. I say three, two, one, search. And they go yeah. off and they bring something back. So that's one thing. And another thing that I've noticed is that he's very perfectionist. He's mm. only five, but he's from the beginning been really perfectionistic. Oh. Um, and that's been a real struggle because he looks at my journal and he looks at his and he criticizes internally his own mm-hmm. journal. Mm-hmm. And so he loves it when I what he calls goes outside the lines. You know, if I'm messy in my channel, yeah, yeah. he loves it. Okay. And so he's really teaching me to let go and be playful and silly and less um, less tied to making something really representative mm-hmm. and, and not trying to – and sometimes I will deliberately go outside the lines yeah, just yeah. so that he – because he, he searches my page and he'll say, yes, there, you did it there and there. <laughs> So it's made me feel less attached to being to perfectionism, mm. which is something we all need to get rid of. It's not helpful in any situation. No, amen, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he he's teaching me that. And so we do play a lot in our journals. And in fact, we do a lot of blind contour drawings. Mm, great. He loves it, and it makes 
it's it's something he can do. We're on, you know, we're on the same page with it. Yes, you're on equal footing. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Your drawings both look really goofy at the end. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so we do a lot of that and he, he helps me stay relaxed. Mm. So I would say that's a big way that he's influenced me. Beautiful. And, and I, I want him to feel comfortable and I want him to feel comfortable about his drawings. And so we've sort of been navigating that together and he will he will often get upset sometimes he actually gets upset about not being able to do what he wants to do mm-hmm. um skill wise and so um he'll ask me like how did you do that and I say well I've been doing it for years mm-hmm. long before you were born right and but that's not satisfying to him and he, he wants <laughs> so he'll say like but what and I, I often check in and say like what is it about mine that you want to do on yours and he, right. he I remember one time he he talked about um wanting to do uh he liked that I had included all the veins on this leaf so I said well have a look at your leaf and see how you could do that on your page and he mm-hmm. did mm. and he was really proud of like stepping over that hurdle and Good. he was really happy with this drawing so um there's always this this balance a lot of play and then he but he also wants to develop um mm-hmm. his drawing skill and mm-hmm. so um we we go there too in a gentle way yeah yeah beautiful oh I love that I love the idea that he's helping you be less of a perfectionist and more relaxed yes. yourself that's really lovely because in some ways I think people can imagine and even you described at the beginning of talking about you know nature drawing with your son that you know it can be you didn't use the word stress, but it's, it can be mm. a lot, you know, because you're thinking yes. of your journal and the weather and, um, and he what, starts painting himself he, every time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And like what, what he might need to do next. And so you, you yes. can't, you can't focus in the same yeah. way as you do when you're on your own, which, which all parents understand, you know, we're constantly, if, if we're with our child, we are, we are thinking about our child. And even when we're not with our yes. child, we're often thinking about our child. Yes. But when we're with them, we're trying to, you know, especially when they're younger, we're making sure they're safe, making sure they're happy. Are they warm enough? Do they have enough to eat? Do they need a nap? Or do they need water? Yes. So there's a lot of distractions. So um, it's beautiful that you also find um, peace somewhere yes. in there, that you find joy and play together. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's, that's just lovely. Because, I mean, I can hear, too, that, you know, he wants to learn how to draw um, better, as in, mm. I'm, I'm using my air quotes, he wants air to quotes. learn how to incre- increase his draw, increase his pencil miles. Um, yes. And that's a, you know, the growth mindset is a difficult concept to teach to a five-year-old, you know, because yes. they, um, like, like many of us, they want something right now. Yes. And it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to not just be able to say, I want to draw that bird and now I'm going to draw that bird or that leaf or whatever yes. it is. Um, so it's a really good reminder. Um, I know with Fiona, she also struggles with that. Mm-hmm. And um, she's been so blessed to have Jack as a really close mentor um, yes. for a lot of her time, nature journaling. And he has been reminding her about the pencil miles um, and the idea of the growth mindset and that, you know, you can become better if you practice, that you're in charge yes. of how much better you get at drawing because all you have to do is practice, period. That's it. And if you want to get better, you just need to put in the time. And um, he was kind enough to, early when we first met him, he actually showed Fiona some of his own journals from when he was in high school, which is when he started journaling more seriously. And, um, you know, he he got out these journals from when I think he was like 15 or 16, and she was 13 at the time. And he was showing her some drawings that he had done and some of his work. And 
it's, you know, it doesn't look like his work looks now, you know, you can see that he started somewhere else and he has improved incredibly. He's a very, he's a very skilled artist now, but he has been doing it for 35 years or however many, 30 plus years. And that's a lot of time to be practicing drawing. And I think that was really powerful for Fiona, for Fiona to see that. And I know your son is too young at this point to see yeah. that, but it would be really beautiful when he's old enough to to understand this idea of growth mindset and practice to show him some of your first journals yes. um, and show him some of your later journals and talk about this is what happens when you practice. I didn't just start drawing and this is how I was. You know, I it's not a gift. You know, this is something I've practiced and I, I wanted to get better at it. So I'm practicing, you know, just like I want to learn how to play the piano or I want to learn how to speak Russian or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, it's, isn't it funny? We have this concept that you have, you have an art talent. I hate this word. Yes. You know, you have talent or you don't, Yeah. which is completely crazy because in all other areas, like you say, if you're learning Russian, if you're learning the violin, right. of course you start at the beginning, but people <laughs> expect to Yeah. You start <laughs> at the beginning. Right to the end. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. And I think we've, Jack and I have talked about this a lot. And our speaker last year at Wild Wonder, Joe Bowler, is a mathematician. And, and she yes. thinks that the fixed mindset exists most strongly in math. You're a math person or you're mm-hmm. not, which she f- flatly denies. Um, and uh, her research, you know, backs it up. And then she thinks that art is probably the second most, um, yes. uh, the second highest ranking place where people have this fixed mindset idea. Well, I'm not an artistic person, but you're yes. so right. Like if we just said, well, I'm not a Russian person. I, I mean, I'm not yeah. a person who can <laughs> yeah, ever speak Russian right. or I'm not a violin yeah, person yeah. or whatever. Yeah. No, we, we don't say that to I'm not a ukulele person, you know, like we don't really yeah. say that. We, we see people starting and typically it's when you're a child, you start these things um, and then you practice and practice and you get better. And there are some people who spend many more hours doing it than others and they get to be really, really, really good at it. And they may be born yeah. with some capacity. Um, perhaps they have a slightly, you know, some kind of physiological advantage for violin or whatever it is that gives them, you know, or they have a certain focus or they have their homeschooled or they have a supportive parent or whatever. But there's all kinds of factors yeah. that can influence that. But you're so right. We, we do tend to say, or many of us um, hope, you know, bless it's a blessing that this in this community that idea of talent um, is is going out of fashion. <laughs> but um, I saw a post on the Nature Journal Club recently where I forget the person's name. It was a brand new member, their first post, and they said, "Well, they said something like this. Well, this is my first post, and you know, I see a lot of things I want to change, but I can't improve if I don't start." Those yes. were the exact words of the, I, I don't, I'm summarizing the beginning of the post, but the last line yeah. I, I memorized because I'm like that. And yeah, I even commented, it. I'm like, this is a great motto. I can't improve if I don't start. And yes. I just thought, wow. I mean, Jack has said a similar idea in other ways, but I just love that, that idea. That's powerful. Yeah. It's yeah. really powerful. Like, <laughs> you know, people say, oh, I really want to start nature journaling, but I really want to be really good at it the second I start yes. it, you know, and, <laughs> and that's not going to happen. And, um, that's okay. But if yeah. you want to improve, you first have to start, you know, and yeah. then you have to do it again and then you have to do it again. So, um, so I think it's been fun for me as a parent to see, um, Fiona's been seriously nature journaling for, I think since she was 13 and she's just turned 19 and we just got back Amazing. from a trip where she filled a whole journal, an 80 page journal on like a 12 day trip. She just was drawing and drawing and drawing and drawing and drawing. And, um, so I've seen, and, and I've seen a lot of change in her journal over that time and, 
we look back on her very first journal pages and what they looked like and the sorts of observations that she made and the sorts of drawings she did was really powerful and profound. Um, and I love thinking also about just as a parent, just to mention another thing that's come up for me as a parent is how powerful the nature journaling practice has been in the rest of her life. Like I see the influence of her nature journaling, the skills yes. that she's developed in nature journaling, serving her so powerfully in the rest of her academic work in school, um, throughout her high school, which was very rigorous high school, um, especially in her biology classes where she was doing a lot of similar work to doing very detailed drawings and, and, you know, laboratory experiments where she's asking questions. And, and I just really feel like that work she did in her nature journal, which was completely not academic. It was not for a school project. It was totally personal, had such powerful carryovers to the rest of her life in such a, I, I was surprised. I, I, I guess I, I mean, if you're surprised then that means you were expecting something, I guess, you know, and then, and then it didn't happen. So I just, I'm, I'm curious about that. Cause I, I didn't think about, I didn't realize what a powerful practice it is in terms of its benefits or its, um, I don't, I don't know if the word benefit is what I want to use, but the impact that it can have, um, on the rest of your life. I mean, on the rest of your life from a mental health perspective and all yeah. of that, but in, in the academic world, as a parent of a child going to school, I just have seen many powerful, um, benefits of nature journaling and how they've, um, enhanced her capacity to, to think and articulate herself in words and pictures and the value that that's had in her academic realm, I think, has been really, really beautiful to see. That's a wonderful um, insight. So it's something wow. you can, yeah, it's something you can look forward to um, as your son continues to nature journal and, um, you know, in school. Yeah, it's just been, it's been something that I've, I've just loved seeing that. And not that you think your child's wasting their time nature journaling. Absolutely not. You know, it's beautiful. But it's also just fun for me to see that it has had all these other benefits yes. and these other ramifications in her life. So. Nice. That's really nice. Yeah. yeah. So I would love to hear just a little bit about this podcast itself. I'd love to hear what inspired you to start this podcast. And then I would love to know some other things like what you hope listeners receive from this podcast, what you yourself feel like you've received from this experience. So if you could talk a little bit about that, that would be great. I know your listeners would love to hear the genesis of this beautiful gift. Thank you, Beth. So it actually, the idea for the podcast started in response to uh, the blog that I curated for the first International Nature Journaling Week. So we started to mm. ask different um, journalists from all around the world if they wanted to write a blog about their experience. And Fiona wrote a beautiful blog about her experience. And we had this collection of stories from all different people from all different places and it was amazing to see that everyone does it differently you know we have this practice this nature journaling practice and and yet everyone approaches it in their own way for their own reasons and everyone's story is so unique and I just got these this little a blog-sized you know window into somebody's story and I wanted to know mm -hmm. more because everybody's story is so interesting and so unique Mm -hmm. uh, so it was out of that, I just had this idea, how do I, I want to know more about these stories and how do I do that? 
And so it just came into my mind uh, to start the podcast. And I, of course, I had no idea about podcasting. <laughs> um, how do, how do I do that? I don't know. You know, our first first port of call is always just do a search about it, and you know, there's all these different layers and elements that you have to learn. And so, uh, I took a course on it, which was very very um, satisfying, and I learned a lot. And the the course says that if you follow these steps at the end of this course you'll have a podcast and I just could not even mm. fathom that because that that seemed like crazy um but I did and I step by stepped through all the steps in this course and then at the end there was this podcast and I remember the in the beginning I was so nervous because um I, I am introverted I am not someone to um, stand up and be in the spotlight and yet I wanted to help facilitate the telling of these stories so uh, I was terrified the first interview at first interview was with a dear friend Jules Wolford who helped me create International Nature Journaling Week and and even though she was a dear friend already I was terrified to do that um, but once I got into the swing of it, I realized this is something actually that comes, that feels very natural. And, and so that's how it started. And then <laughs> I've, some people have asked me before, like, will you run out of guests? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I just, find, <laughs> I just find that you ask anybody their story and you've got you know that they open the door to this wonderful tale and so I, d I don't think I'll ever run out of guests for as long as I want to keep doing this project uh, because I've realized that it's all about the stories and um, I just love listening to stories I've always been <laughs> I've always been the person who wants to go through in detail through your travel photos you know <laughs> mm, <laughs> you know mm, people mm. come home from yeah, travel yeah. and and um, often you know no one really wants to look at their travel photos but not I, I love <laughs> I love sitting with people and going through their travel photos and and hearing the stories about this one and that one and, and, and. yeah um so it just comes really naturally to listen to stories so for me that is the big joy just hearing the stories and what I hope to put out there is connecting people in this this community Beth <laughs> this community is just so full of love and goodness and kindness and I hope with the podcast that I sort of increase the networks in this community so by sharing these stories I'm helping others be known by each other if that makes sense mm -hmm. you know making links mm -hmm. and networks between people um, and what I hope the listeners receive is that this way of experiencing the world, you know, this this quiet, open way of connecting with the world. It's something that others do. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you're out there, you can you can love nature, you can love nature journaling. But when you're hooked into this network, when you're hooked into the knowledge that there are other people who feel and think the way you do, it can be really a lovely, powerful thing. So I hope, yeah, maybe just the listeners realize that there's there's a network of people out there who love what you love and and you can be part of it you can be connected and also that all stories are important you know it's all stories are unique and all stories are worth listening to mm. that's what comes out of it for me that's so beautiful and as I said at the beginning of this conversation I just feel so grateful for your deep listening when I listen to your podcast 
I really feel that presence you offer the other person. Mm -hmm. And I think um, the podcast format being just audio Mm. forces us to, for the listener, I feel like it's a more intimate experience than watching a video because I feel like videos, it can be distracting, you know, it can be just, I don't know, just watching someone's face while they talk. There's an intimacy that that also provides, but I feel like it's kind of like when we close our eyes, we can like, you know, when we're tasting a really delicious food yes. and we want to really focus on it, we close our eyes. Or mm. or if we want to really listen carefully, we close our eyes. And so I feel like closing down that visual sense, which for us in this society is so primary yes, and um, so forward in the most experiences with social media and our phones and our, our world, I feel like it's just a really visual world. Yes. And so in terms of advertising and marketing and all of that. So I feel like this podcast format allows us to close our eyes mm-hmm. if you want and, and just listen really deeply. And I hear and feel you doing that during the podcast. And it's such a gift to listen to someone truly listen to them. It's a, it's a really a gift. And, um, I feel so grateful for all of these shows that you've created where you're truly giving that person that gift and you give us the experience of getting to listen to their story also really deeply. And I just really want to thank you for that. Oh, thank you, Beth. And thank you for being intuitive and in touch with with this experience enough that you reached out to me and wanted to listen to my story. That's, that's really touching and humbling. So thank you. You're so welcome. I'm so glad to get to listen to it. And, and I, we've talked before about, I really want to get together and, and give you a big hug and and (laughs) have, and have tea. Yeah. And have tea and, and learn even more about each other because I just, um, I just would, I would love that. So I hope we can do that someday. Absolutely. It will happen. We'll make it happen. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I found so much joy in this exchange of stories with Beth, learning more about her at the same time as sharing my own story. This nature journaling community is such a loving, supportive space, and I'm grateful to Beth for this conversation, and of course, to you for listening today. It's you, the listener, who's the reason that this podcast exists. In fact, as well as celebrating our 100th episode together, We're also reaching another wonderful milestone this week, which is 100,000 downloads. It blows my mind to think that the podcast episodes have been downloaded 100,000 times. I want to take this moment, of course, to send a special thank you out to the Patreon supporters of the podcast. Patreon is a platform where people who enjoy this content can pledge as little as $1 per month, and that support means that I can continue with this project into the future. As a special little treat for Patreon supporters, there's a bonus recording which has two extra questions that Beth asked me about creating the podcast. The questions are, what was the most surprising part of this podcast experience and what was the scariest part? If you're already a Patreon supporter, this bonus recording will be available to listen to right away. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, you can click on the link in the show notes for this episode and sign up. And you'll also have access to this little bonus. 
Either way, I'm very grateful that you're here and that you listening today has contributed to our 100,000 download milestone. Another exciting thing to mention is that the Wild Wonder Nature Journaling Conference is coming up super soon, September 14th to 18th. I'm excited to be presenting a workshop called Using Simple Lines to Capture Our World. It's going to be a class about the most simple and versatile tool that we have, which is the line. We'll be playing with different techniques for using line to represent the things we see around us. I'm going to leave the link in the show notes for this episode to the website of John Muir Laws, where you can register to join the conference live or purchase a video pass to watch all the workshops and events after the conference finishes. So once again, thank you so much for listening. See you next week.